Hello, my name is Martina Flor. I'm a learning artist, author, and educator. Do you know what my most powerful tool to create my work is? Mm -mm. Not my hands, mm -mm. not my brain, but my eyes. I've been training my observation skills since day one, and that had a major impact on my skills and success as a commercial lettering artist. Not only that, it has helped me find inspiration everywhere around me and staying away from endless scrolling, down Google, Pinterest, and Instagram. Have you ever been in the situation of looking at your drawing, knowing that something is off or that it's not quite ready yet, but not knowing how to fix it? Fear not. This training called Letter Hunters will help you develop what I call your typographic eye by just using inspiration from your surroundings. If you want to improve your work, you need to start by sharpening your observation skills. Join me and become the best letter hunter in town. See you inside. Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Studio. I'm your host, Martina Flora, and in this show I have honest conversations with artists, designers and creatives to uncover their paths and discuss the specific tactics they use to overcome challenges and succeed on their own terms. Today I'll be having a conversation with Christina Mini. Christina has a wide experience in publishing and she shares it all during this episode. She is the executive publishing director of art, food, and lifestyle publishing at renowned independent publisher Chronica Books. She is a professional collaborator and creator, bringing new ideas to fruition every season, as well as overseeing the publishing of more than 120 books and gift products every year. During the show, Christina gave us an in-depth overview into book publishing, from how a book is created and who's involved, to how contracts are negotiated, including real-life numbers. She shared what makes a great book and the behind-the-scenes happening at the publishers before a book hits the shelves. Christina spoke about the keys to make a collaborative project successful and provided her vision on the future of creation and distribution of content. If you're curious to learn more about the publishing industry, this conversation will be really insightful. Furthermore, if you have a book idea in mind, in this episode, Christina will provide the steps to find the publisher, land the contract, and get it published. You can find her on Instagram at Christina Amini, Christina with C-H, or on chroniclebooks.com. Enjoy this conversation with Christina. Hello, Christina. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Nice to see you there. <laughs> so I want to start by touching on something I have noticed by working with different publishers throughout my career. I mean, I'm an author myself and I work with several publishers from Europe and um, the US. And I remember that the last time we met, we were having lunch at the conference and you were telling me about some of the projects you were working on. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, she really loves her work. She really, she's really enthusiastic about what she does. And I have to say that because of my experience at, you know, being in touch with publishers and editors, I can say that most of the people that work in publishing seem to really enjoy their work. So I want to start by asking you, what do you find 
fascinating about creating books? Mm, good question. What I love about creating books is that it's, uh, you get to create something new over and over again. And um, people who are in publishing generally are also really enthusiastic. It's not the highest paid job in the world, but it, it allows you this freedom to work with really talented people, to make something that hasn't existed before. Mm. Um, for me as an editor, I get, it gives me an excuse to introduce me to myself to people like you, like, oh, you're an interesting person. I wonder if you have a book idea. Um, and then to be in the nitty gritty of working with designers, production people, public publicity, marketing, um, and then to see what kind of impact that has on the audience. So that to me is, it's really exciting to see a project come together. And can you tell us a little bit more about how books come to life from concept to execution and also how many people are involved in this process? Yes, it can take a really long time. So all the, all the variables are variable in terms of how a book comes together. So from at its most basic, a, uh, from idea to execution, like from proposal to book being published in the world, often takes about 18 months. Um, but of course, someone can work on their masterpiece for 20 years and then deliver it. And so it's like, you know, 20 years plus the time in production. So ideas can come to us in all different forms um, or the project ideas in terms of sometimes we get things submitted to us directly from the authors. Um, I should say I, I work at Chronicle Books uh, and into pub publisher in San Francisco. And so we're one of uh, the publishers who accepts things directly from authors. Not all publishers do that. It's called slush submissions. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you can get it directly from an author or an artist. You can get a submission from an agent. Um, many proposals are agented or we can reach out to somebody who we think is talented and ask them if they have a book idea and want to put together a proposal. Or sometimes ideas come from in-house, it's called, where someone on our team is like, I have an idea for a project. And then we either hire someone to make it happen or we produce it ourselves. Um, so that's the first like idea part. Um, and then an editor usually works um, to bring this project proposal to an acquisitions board of some kind. At Chronicle Books, it's called um, a publishing group. So we have four publishing groups, art, food and lifestyle, entertainment, um, and children's. And I oversee the adult publishing piece. And so then with your publishing group, we decide, is this a book that we think is a good match for Chronicle, has a big audience, has a lot of potential, and that we want to go after? And of course, not all projects that we go after do we win because we also then have to make um, an offer on it. So how much do we want to pay for this project? And that is all a calculus of, you know, risk and reward. How mm -hmm. many copies do we think this book is going to sell? And, um, and how much is it going to take to produce it? So a cookbook, for example, is often very costly to produce 
because we also have to hire a photographer, food stylist, designer, you know, there's sometimes some books come with larger production budgets. So then they have to sell more in order for us to make our return on our money on it. Also, sometimes it depends on the price. So this is all part of the decision-making of the team is, you know, where do we see that? How big is the audience for this book? Um, how much can we charge for it? How many will it sell? And then sometimes we're competing against other companies and many times we are. And so then, you know, there's a competition of who's going to win this project. And it's not always about the money. Um, you know, sometimes authors or artists choose a publisher based on their certain strengths or books they've produced. Um, and then, okay, let's say, yay, we, um, we won this project and we are going to now produce this book. So um, the editor works with a designer and a production person and the author and to then create what the vision for the book is. And I think this is one of the most important pieces is making sure that the whole team is in alignment about how to, the book that they or project that they want to create because if you're not in alignment at the beginning it's very hard to get in alignment <laughs> at the end so making sure that our vision is all uh to get there together and then it also makes it easier to make decisions because inevitably along the way you're going to have some different points of view um and ideally everybody is working from their area of expertise you know we hire authors and artists we, because we love their um, maybe certain category expertise in their area, and hopefully they are working with us because they trust us as a publisher. So then we are making sure that, um, you know, so then when a, say an issue comes up, no, I want this on the cover. No, I think this should be the title. If we go back to our vision, we can figure out, okay, how do we reach our audience here? Um, instead of it just pitting, you know, the different players against each other. Okay, so then we like make it through the, I could go in super detail here, I'm trying, you know, it's a, it's a long and complicated and wonderful process. Um, but then we go through, it's called rounds of galleys once the book is in design. And, um, and so at this point we're checking, you know, to make sure that we like the layout of the book, that it makes sense um, how it's organized, that it visually is interesting. And then we, um, and there's some back and forth, um, where I work is a particularly collaborative house, publishing house. So we want to make sure that the author is on board with it, the designer and the editor, you know, that we're all kind of working and are making sure that it's it's excite, it's surprising, it's delighting, it's exciting, it makes sense. Um, then, okay, fast forward, say we've chosen the cover, the interiors look amazing. The, um, all the back matter, the index is done. Um, and then at this point we, ha and we've chosen the like paper graining for the cover, the foil stamping, a ribbon marker, whatever the things are that we've chosen. Um, we send the files out. Um, typically, Chronicle books get printed in China. Many book publishers um, print in China uh, for four color books or books with high production value. 
Um, some books are printed in the U.S., but m more often they're one or two color. They are um, they have less kind of bells and whistles than a chronicle book might. Um, and then um, our production person is the one who is working with our printer. Um, and at this point, the marketing and publicity person people start getting in touch with the author, and we start thinking about. How are we going to position this book in the marketplace? Um, how is it going to reach its audience? And so then, um, and at this point sales, and you know, sort of like we're moving closer and closer, say we're, you know, we start planning for the book's release like six months uh, before publication because long lead publications like magazines um, need that much time. Mm. Um, so, and some, you know, uh, they want to see a finished book even before they will consider it for publication. Then shorter lead things like newspapers, blogs um, are getting it, you know, say within a few weeks of publication. Um, and then the book has its book birthday. Everyone cheers. You know, sometimes there's a, the author is doing a lot of promotion in advance and then ongoing throughout. Um, and then it's really those first three, three months of the book's life that can be the most important in terms of setting the book up for future success. Um, so wanting to make sure that, you know, it gets the attention of the people who, um, who will be most interested in it. Any other details that you want on that? No, it seems, <laughs> it seems that this is a highly collaborative project. And like there's a lot of people involved, as you said, there is not only the production of the book or the making of the book, but also the distribution and the marketing and the printing. And, you know, the author is also in between all of these uh, players, right? So, and I know that you're very passionate about mm -hmm. collaboration and I, I actually watched a talk um, of yours that speaks exclusively about collaboration and how collaboration has had a big impact on your career and it's basically the your work, your everyday work. So I want to dive deeper into this. I'm going to make a note actually or kind of put a sticky note on what you mentioned in the very beginning of the process of creating a book, which is this risk and reward kind of analysis you make with the publishing house on how this, you know, when you get a proposal, you would first go through the analysis of, okay, how much time and money are we going to invest in this project and how much um, return are we going to have from that? So I'm going to make a put a sticky note on that and I'm going to come back to that later but for now I want to speak a little bit about the collaboration part of it and kind of understand what are the guidelines or what are the things that you need to have into place to make this huge collaborative project work because there's so many people involved so many egos so many things that can go wrong um, so is there any um, kind of tips or guidelines that you have to make a collaborative project like this one work? Yes. Um, I would say probably the most important thing is trust between all the players on the team that I trust you to do your job and you trust me to do mine. 
that we um, are listening to each other's experience in the process. Um, because I, and then I think also trusting that we all care about this project, that we are um, giving it what it, um, giving it what it deserves. Um, I think the, some of the other component pieces, I mean, I touched on vision and I think that that's really, um, one of the key pieces is this, like, if we're all rowing in the same direction, we're much more likely to get to this, the place where we're trying to go. But if we're all rowing in different directions, like we have different agendas for what we want this book to do, um, then it's probably, it's going to be a lot harder to get there. You know, it's kind of um, just going to be a mess of oars on the water, you know, if you're trying to row uh, to get someplace. I can totally, I, think, I just, um, I just want to make a, like dive deep, dive deeper into this. How do you, how do you set up this vision? Do you write a document where um, you as a publisher and the editor and the author uh, kind of chip, uh, chime in and define the vision for the project? Or how do you, how do you define this vision so that everyone is on the same page with it? We actually do have to write it out. We write it out as editors when we're presenting the project to our team in-house um, so that, you know, here's the, our vision for the project. Here's who it's for, here's what it's gonna do, and here's what they're gonna get out of it. And so we're trying to be really clear about, for our team, so they can kind of picture it in their mind's eye, you know, cause everybody is a, we're all visual people and it is helpful to kind of see that like that future state of like trying to imagine what does it look like when we're two years from now and we've made this thing and it's successful. What does success look like for it? What does failure look mm -hmm. like? So we are literally as editors, we're writing this out. And I think it's one of those things that's like, oh gosh, this takes a lot of effort, but also has a lot of value in it because it's like, oh yeah, it's actually good for me to really, I think I have an idea, but if I have to put this into words that somebody else is gonna hmm. have to receive, then it, it just makes it more crisp and clear. Um, hmm. Then we're often sharing that vision with the author when we're making the offer letter. Like we're saying, you know, we would love to publish your book in the year 2024. Here's what we imagine are gonna be the project specifications for it. Here's what we imagine the retail price is gonna be. Here's who we think it's going to reach. Um, and so we're putting that up out there at the beginning. But one of the things I've learned is that this, this vision changes over the course of the project. And that is also important. You might start off at one place because you have a, you know, a good idea of where you're going. But as you move through it, it is really crucial to keep articulating uh, what the project is and what the vision is as it evolves, right? So hmm. because you might find out something you really wanted to do, a fold-out map or a, I don't know, whatever the thing is that you wanted to do, it maybe it's not possible. Maybe it's too expensive. Maybe a competitive book just arrived hmm. that's... Hmm. So you don't want to be too similar to that one. So you have to be able to shift and evolve um, to meet the moment that you're publishing in. But you also 
Um, so then it's this constant evolution and communication about what the vision is. You, um, you mentioned vision as, you know, part of this, um, part of like an essential point on keeping a collaborative work on the same page or everyone in the collaboration on the same page. Is there any other things that you consider essential to keep everyone on the same page when, when you work on such a big project? Um, well, time is a key piece. Um, you know, there's that saying, you can have quality, cost, or speed, and you can only pick two of those things. Um, I would just say that the time is really important too, because we're, and sticking to, or communicating about the schedules, our, our managing editor, that's the person whose role it is to hold us all accountable to those schedules. And so collaboration really takes time and it also takes this respect for time in that um, if somebody is saying they're going to deliver something, but then they're always late, then it erodes the trust, but it doesn't and it doesn't allow us to deliver the, the project that we wanted to deliver to the audience at the moment in time. I think the one thing about publishing is, you know, we're working on um, projects typically every six months. We have a fall season and we have a spring season. And we're really trying to plot out what is, what is the thing, what is the trend, what is the um, exciting moment for, like right now, I just presented our fall 22 list to our sales team. And so my job is to really communicate okay, here's why it's on trend, here's what we're thinking about. And if the team doesn't meet the time, the timeline, then that's a pretty, that's a big problem because we might have missed the right moment for it. We might have missed mm. the unicorn moment trend or the llama trend or the, you know, whatever it is, or somebody else's book might've come out in advance. So I would say time is a really important piece to collaboration as well. So what makes, a good idea for a book. Sorry, what makes, what makes you say yes to a proposal? There are, <laughs> it's, there's so many good ideas and there's so many bad ideas. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But also just something for your listeners. I think just because I don't think it's a good idea, it doesn't mean it's not a good idea. It might not be a good idea for my publisher to produce. And that is okay. Like that, I think it's really important because, you know, one of the hard parts of my job is to write rejection letters when somebody sends us a project mm. proposal and we have to say, no, it's not a match for us. But it's just that it's not a match for us at this time. Like it might be that our, you know, if somebody pitches me a fiction book proposal, it's like, well, that's, that's not what we do. That's not a match. Or we might already have that exact, I don't know, um, a very similar lettering book on our list that would be at the same season. And so we don't want to create books that would compete against each other. It doesn't mean it's not a good idea. It just means maybe we have something competitive. So I just want to be, 
I think there's a lot of nuance in this what is a good idea piece. I would also say it's a moment of, you know, looking at who's in publishing. So publishing is about 75% white and 25% um, BIPOC staff and probably fewer of those people are in editorial. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at the people who are choosing the ideas, um, you know, publishing has had a very white history. It's a lot of, in terms of its staff, in terms of its authors. So I also wanna make sure that I'm challenging this like good idea, bad idea piece in terms of you know, who are the gatekeepers and who are the, de the decision makers, who are, who's creating the filters here? Because there have been in the past and present, um, oh, that's, that's too niche is something that would be said. And that I think, well, it's really being interrogated right now um, mm -hmm. and it needs to be. So all of that being said, what do I think is a good idea? Um, I think something, uh, good ideas, I think, um, are feel new, they feel exciting, they bring the cu cultural conversation forward. Um, they do something that hasn't been done before or they do it in a different way. Um, off, and sometimes the person has a very big platform and that doesn't hurt. Um, I would also say though, that one of my old bosses used to say, there are no new ideas. It's all in the execution. Mm -hmm. So even if you have a big idea, sometimes to me, that's not the most important part. The most important part is how do you execute that idea? What does it look like? So it's not just like, I want to make a cat book. It's, you know, Grumpy Cat's particular flavor of cat book and how the, um, I don't know, the little messages were created, right? It's not just the, I, the, the broad idea, it's the execution of the idea that is what makes something distinctive and stand out. For me, I'm always also looking for a distinctive idea, something that is it doesn't feel like it's just another version of what's already out there. Like we published some of Rifle's notebooks and um, garlands and note cards. And, um, and you would see so many people were doing really derivative work of Rifle Paper Company's um, projects. And that wasn't that interesting, you know, doing the like, Rifle was kind of, was one of the people who were doing that look in particular. And then, you know, I would go to stationary show and see a lot more of that look after. Um, just to say that I think doing something distinctive. And now if you're gonna, thinking about like for your listeners, if they want to, you know, are thinking about a project that they have in mind or a proposal that it's really important to do the research to like, okay, I have this idea. Now, what else is out there that is similar to this? What else is, what else like does my project aspire to be? I like to think of it like the, if you have a book project, 
like go to a bookstore um, and see what books would be on the shelf next to yours. Mm. Like what are the cousins of your book? You know, what are the ones that you want it to sit among? And to me, a good starting place if you're looking for a publisher is to see who publishes those books, mm. who's, you know, who your book would sit among. Look at the acknowledgments and see, see if they thank their editor, their agent, you know, and those are the people uh, who you want to contact, whose world you want your book to be in. I love that you're touching on this because this makes the perfect segue to actually one of my questions, which was like, hey, Christina, I have an idea for a book, uh, but I'm just a person. I don't have a, um, a publishing agent. Um, and I don't know any publishers mm -hmm. out there. I don't have contacts. So where do I start? So this is, I think, it's a great way of starting out, kind of looking for the right publisher for your book or the publisher where you would say, like, hey, I would love them to publish my book. And for sure, because, because they publish books like yours or in the line of what you're doing, you have already more um, chances to get your book published. Um, but what would be, so once you decide which are the publishers that you could get in touch with or could possibly publish your book, what are the next steps? Because it seems that, you know, I have been there trying to get in touch with certain publishers that I thought were appropriate to publish some of my books. Um, and it's sometimes really mm -hmm. hard to get there. It's sometimes really hard to get through the gatekeeper. And um, even some publishers don't speak directly to authors. As you said, Chronicle Books does this, but many publishers like to speak with publishing agents and they like to get proposals through them exclusively and they don't get proposals from the general public. So what are the next steps once you discover or you identify who may publish your book? What are the next steps for someone that is, you know, out of the blue, has a book idea and wants to make this happen? Great question. I, okay, so you have this great book idea. You are, you've gone, you've dug in, you've done some research, you've gone to bookstores, you've looked online, you've seen like, okay, there, there is a market for this book. I know there's an audience for it. Um, and yet there's nothing that's quite like this book that I want to pitch. Hmm. So then I would say that coming up with a really great proposal for your book is the next step. Hmm. Now, different publishers, you can look on their websites and look at what they want in a proposal. And I would really pay attention to their submission guide, guidelines. Mm. Um, or if it's that you're looking for an agent, that you pay attention to their submission guidelines. Because it's kind of one of those things, like if you need to pay attention, you need to show that you've done your research, you need to show that you can, okay, I read all the things that they asked me to submit, I'm submitting all of those things. And you know, each publisher or each agent might be different. In general, some of the things that they will be looking for are a project synopsis, something about you. Who are you as an author? What expertise do you have? What education connections, platform? What are the things that, you know, if I'm promoting your book, what were, would be the things that I would say? 
Um, I mean, one way I think a potential author too can think about it is that basically you want to give them as much material, like hand it to them on a silver platter, give them as much great information about you and about your project as you can, because then it's a person like me who then has to pitch it to their group. So like make it easy for me, break it down into bullet points, make it really crisp and clear. Um, don't send me 45 pages that I need to work through or just a website link. Oh, hey, check out my work. Because then you're asking me to do the work of, okay, okay, I'm, I'm clicking on this link and then I'm trying to figure out what, I'm, what am I even looking for. Um, that's not a book proposal. That's mm. just sharing your website link. Um, then, okay, so you've written what your uh, project is, who you are as an author, write down who the market is. You know, who do you see as the audience for this book? Substantiate it with as much data as you can. Um, let's see here, if there's any marketing and publicity hooks that you have or contacts, connections that you have, places that you think would feature it. Um, and then competition. This is really important. Publishers are always looking to what has been published and how has it done? So it's good to pull out, say maybe five to 10 projects, uh, books that are in the world that you consider your book to be similar to. You don't wanna, I mean, hopefully your book is not the same as another book that you're pitching, but it's like you ideally want there to show that there's a market for this kind of book that you're pitching and yet you're offering something new to the conversation. Um, because, so as I was saying before, publishers, they are taking some risk on every project that they publish because they are uh, putting in the money for the author. They're putting in the, a whole team's time. They're paying for paper printing and binding. And so they wanna make sure that they, their investment in a project is gonna pay off so they want to make sure that that results in book sales. Like, okay, lots of people are going to buy this book or enough people are going to buy this book that it's going to offset the amount that we had to pay for it. Um, let's see, is there anything else to include? Um, I would just say, I mean, right now most submissions are digital because um, most people are working from home still. Um, you know, in some places, again, reading those submissions do only submit except paper submissions. Um, so it's really paying attention, I think, to what it is that the publisher or agents are looking for. And you mentioned a couple of times you touched on platform, which, you know, in a way, when you speak about doing the research and kind of understanding whether your book will sell or not, the platform you have may have a big impact because you may be creating a book that is extremely niche. But if you have a platform of, I don't know, 500,000 followers on social media and a subscribers list of, I don't know, 100,000, then the things look different, right? Even if you're creating a book that is very niche, you may have a lot of or a big audience to, to sell it to. 
right? So I want to ask you a little bit about this because um, I was having a conversation with uh, Malika Fav, which is a uh, an illustrator, a pretty accomplished illustrator, and she has a big social media following. And she was mentioning that nowadays when she negotiates the terms with a publisher, she feels that she has through that she has through having a big social media following she has a lot of leverage in terms of negotiating the the, the terms and the, the essentially the royalties because she is a big player um, or she brings this book into a bigger audience right so I wanted to ask you a little bit about how have contracts changed and how have negotiations changed in this current a scenario where authors nowadays may come to you with a big social media following. So the distribution is not mm -hmm. falling only on the side of the publisher, but also on the side of the uh, author. Mm -hmm. So typically uh, publishing contracts work in that they are an advance against royalties. So the, uh, mm. the publisher gives the author, I'm just going to use round numbers to make it simple. Say we give an author an advance of $10,000 for a book with royalties of 5% of retail and the, the book costs $20. So mm. what is 5% of $20 is $1. Right? Did I get that right? And uh, so for each book, you're earning that much money. The author is earning yeah. that much money so that then after uh, a certain number are sold, they, they earn back their initial advance. Mm -hmm. um, and just to be clear though, the initial advance that an author receives, they never have to give that back. That is theirs for the keeping, mm -hmm. whether they earn it in royalties or not. However, you usually, both the author and the publisher are more interested in the author earning the entire royalty and so, because it means that then they've sold many more copies of the book. Mm. Um, so in terms of how that changes the contracts, now with social media platforms being a key piece of publicity and marketing, It often means that if someone has a big social media platform and if their book is targeting the thing that they're, they're known for in that social platform, um, that then they can negotiate a higher advance and higher royalties. Hmm. Why I made that point about the, um, the, the subject matter needs to line up with the thing that they're known for because we've experienced too that not, it's not always the case that somebody who has a big social media platform, it doesn't necessarily mean it translates into every random hobby that they have. If they're known for design, then like their project is mostly gonna sell to that design audience, you know, so basically giving the audience what they want. So that being said, with a bigger social media platform, it means, yeah, that they, like you were saying, that there is this room to negotiate. Um, and sometimes too, there's, I mean, there's many points in an author publisher contract. Another point that they might negotiate is, you know, the, how 
they sell their book. Maybe they sell the book on their website and they can get it at a deeper discount. Or maybe they want a bigger number of free copies. Or, um, you know, there are many different things um, that uh, authors can negotiate for or agents can negotiate for on their behalf. Amazing. So this is, you know, the the platform or the, you know, the following or the audience they are bringing in um, plays a role in negotiating the terms of a contract. And I, I bet that it also plays a role in calculating the risk and rewards um, that you were mentioning in the very beginning. So uh, once you get the proposal, the proposal gets um, goes through the editing or the uh, editor's board, as you mentioned, um, you kind of evaluate what is the risk and the reward of taking on this project. And I want to know a little bit more about what it takes to analyze this. What are the, the things that play a role besides, you know, whether the topic is interesting and the audience that the author is bringing in? Right. So we are looking at a P&L, a profit and loss grid basically mm. and there's all these different levers that are at play um, when we're trying to figure that out so one is the retail price so if we are creating a book that is a $50 book um, say it's a very like I'm trying to think of a good example that we just did um, we have a ceramics Bible book it's $45 and it's really for a kind of institutional school market. And a $45 book in some ways doesn't need to sell as many copies if, if we haven't paid the author as much because, you know, the margins are better. So retail price is one of the levers. The, um, uh, the how much we've paid the author. So on the one hand, somebody with a great platform it's awesome. They can, you know, we might contractually obligate them to promote it to their fans five times over the first month of publication or that we expect them that, to be part of a pre-order campaign. But at the same time, sometimes big platforms mean that we have to pay a really big advance. Mm -hmm. And so then sometimes it's like, you know, we're weighing those things against each other because you know, we're not the only one who knows that a big platform is great. Another publisher might know that too. But if it, if it makes our, the, the amount that we're paying in advance too high for us, then that can be a cost um, that means a, a greater risk for the publisher that might not be a risk that we want to take. The royalties are another lever. Um, the unit cost of the book is another lever. So that is a, you know, like the, um, a book that has like a lot of production features or it's four colored, has a spot UV or it has a fifth metallic color. You know, um, there are costs in the production of the book. And if a book requires a really high production value, then that can be a cost that we're gonna have to pay attention to too. Another interesting piece is about the foreign rights. So if we buy a book and we get world rights for something, then 
and it's a kind of book that has international appeal. Martina, I think your book was like this, where you had one publisher and then a European publisher, is that right? And then yeah. a American publisher bought it to be able to sell in North America. And so then that's a way too that a publisher, you know, they're seeing potential, they're seeing that reward, like, oh, if I buy um, this, uh, if we um, work on this project, then we might have potential to sell in the UK in to sell an addition to another foreign publisher. Um, so that is another piece to the puzzle. But then there are some books that are like, oh, that's really only for an American audience. It's a book on football. Let's not pre soccer, uh, not soccer, but American football. You know, that's only going to appeal to Americans. Um, so then we can't factor in any foreign publishing sales. Um, we also are factoring in digital and audio mm. as well. So some books really naturally lend themselves to uh, ebook or audiobooks. And that is another uh, piece too, where we are trying to figure out, you know, how much should we pay for those audio rights? Um, and how much could, do we have the potential to earn back? So all of that mix is what a publisher is trying to assess um, when they are looking at a project and making an offer on it. And do you have any surprising stories where you thought, or you and your team thought, okay, this, this is gonna be a hit, this is gonna, you know, blow it all <laughs> and didn't work as planned or the other way around you thought that this was not this was going to be like an average kind of um a project or a book and then it just went beyond above and beyond hmm. well it's more fun to tell the kind of story that's the, <laughs> the oh we think this is going to great be a great book and then rather than the we thought it was going to be great and it turned out terrible um, I'm sure. Whatever, I'm sure whatever I you choose, whatever you choose to tell. Let's see here. Well, one that I'm thinking of, um, like, was a project that one of our first projects. Well, maybe actually, it was like the fifth project with Lisa Congdon. We thought mm -hmm. um, we saw that she was doing this lettering project. Um, it was, I think, it was something like every day she was doing a different lettering project and so she would write down a quote and it was kind of a way for her to practice her lettering and so we were like oh that's a cool idea um maybe we could make that into a book and so we approached her um we had already been working with her on some um stationery and notebooks um she had a kind of a different look early-ish when we first started working with her. She did these really cool birch trees paintings and then she was getting into doing more of her lettering. And so our editor approached her and said, oh, do you wanna do a collection of these pro of those kind of lettering quotes? And it turned out to be this book called um, Whatever You Are, Be a Good One. Mm. Um, and that book ended up being this like, amazing anthem book for um, graduate graduation tables. 
So like Target ended up taking it, bookstores all across the country and around the world ended up taking it, and it became a huge success. Um, so maybe, I mean, we always liked the project. We thought it had great um, you know, potential and spark, but I think that's the fun part of publishing is like, oh, th- yes, yeah, so of course, we thought it was gonna be a great project, but like the exponentially great project um, is a little harder to predict. And once it takes off, it's like a snowball and keeps going and going. And then like every year, it, this book ends up on graduation tables. Um, every year it keeps on selling and finding a new audience. Um, so that was, a, that was one fun one that I can think of. Oh, I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm sure there are others um, that are like that where it's, you know, or uh, we worked with um, Jeffrey Brown did a Google Doodle of Darth Vader and son. And that little Google Doodle um, ended up becoming this book, Vader and Son, which ended up being like a huge mega phenomenon. And, <laughs> you know, which started off as an illustrated gift book, you know, which was amazing, but of course leveraged and just like really like sunk into the heartstrings of tons of people who love Star Wars and got the kind of, oh my gosh, what if Darth Vader was just a like tired parent like the rest of us? Um, and it like got this really special humor and um, that then ended up not only selling that book, but like at least half a dozen other books um, that are illustrated by Jeffrey Brown and are just uh, fantastic additions. Um, I, I will think on the other, <laughs> the, the massive fails, which many, all publishers have, you know, that you like, you, you thought something was going to work and then it doesn't. And that's just part of the thing is like, we're not psychic as much as we want to be. Hmm. And you know, there's like a kind of part about gambling in the whole thing of like, what do we think is going to appeal to the audience at that time? So what I find interesting about this is that, you know, beyond this risk and reward analysis that you can make uh, in-house, there is this other, this is only just part of, or one part of the equation. And then there is the, you know, how the public receives it and how the, you know, they kind of um, take over the project after it's published, right? So it can go extremely well and have people taking it into the next level, or it can go totally against your um, your calculations. So <laughs> I, I wanted to tell you that I'm myself an avid reader, and I read between two and four books per month, and I have a confession to make that last year I bought a Kindle, <laughs> and I have to say that it, it really has, to, I, I have to make clear first that I read primarily um, textbooks, like business books or technical books. And I have to say that this little device has really changed the way um, I read. It's really comfortable, it's light, and it doesn't hurt my hand when I'm reading like a very long book. Um, I can make notes and I can also purchase the next book right after I finish one. So it has really increased the amount of books that I 
that I consume per month, right? And I wanted to ask you, kind of to wrap up this episode, how, does, how do you think that this affects or transforms the publishing industry? How do you think that the way in which people consume content nowadays, which is you know, primarily digital, kind of has had an impact on the publishing industry and how, you know, looking forward, how do you think it's going to transform it? Well, first of all, you don't need to confess that you bought a Kindle. Be loud and proud. Be, you know, it's content is content and it takes creators to make it. Um, publishing just had its best year in print sales mm. last year. Um, so as ebook sales have grown, so have uh, print book sales are doing great. Um, they, the other piece, um, that I think is important to mention is audio sales. Audio sales have really increased as well. Um, and what we're finding is that people, people want content in all forms and in different occasions. So like they might buy the ebook and the print book uh, of a project. They might love listening to something and the print book. So there's this way that consumers are moving through all different kinds of contents or ways to receive that content. And so publishers, I think, are needing to, you know, meet, meet people where they are, mm -hmm. which is in audio, ebook, and print form. I mean, to me, I will always love a, like a real print book and the, the way kind of like the best technology that paper has to offer, which is just a beautiful print book. However, there are great things about eBooks and audiobooks. As you said, the, the way that um, you can take notes, that you can purchase the next one right away, that you don't kill your back if you're tra traveling for work or pleasure, and that you can like carry a million books with you in a slim little volume, that's amazing. And so I feel like it's a, I mean, I love doing whatever we can to support more reading and creative thinking and inspiring people, whether that's in an ebook, a print book or audio or whatever is next. Yeah. And I'm picking up on this thing you said that people consumes yeah, content in various forms and at times you will buy the book and you will buy the audiobook and you will follow that that author on social media and consume their uh, Instagram posts so mm -hmm. um, I think this is great from our times that you can there's really a space for everybody and all of the formats and because one is rising doesn't mean that the others are dying um, I think they all kind of Mm -hmm. support each other in a in a beautiful way exactly so amina i I'm sorry sorry christina i i just mix your surname with your name um christina <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast um today um i think you provided a lot of great insights into the industry of publishing and also gave our listeners kind of an idea of what it, what it takes to publish a book. And also you, I think you set up the tone um, 
like a contemporary tone to creating content, which is not, you know, putting your ideas and your content out there doesn't necessarily requires always a book in the shape of a book. Sometimes it will require, um, mm -hmm. you know, using social media or um, kind of using other formats uh, for publishing a book, like digital uh, e-books or audio formats. And I think that's really eye-opening for, for someone listening, thinking of, hey, I have an idea, I want to put my vision out there, how can I do that? Is a book a way for me to put my vision out there or not? And I think you provided a lot of insights into what it takes to actually publish a book. Um, so I appreciate all of the things you shared today. I want to ask you lastly, where can people find you if they want to follow your work or if you, they want to get to know more of the books you create? They can find me at, on Instagram, at Christina Amini, so C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-A-M-I-N-I, -I -I, um, or at Chronicle Books. You can see what we're up to there. Amazing. I'm going to add all of this to our show notes so that listeners can find you. Um, and thank you so much for coming on today to the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And see you on the next episode of Open Studio. Bye-bye. So this is it. I hope you loved this episode. You can find me, the host of the show, on social networks at Martina Flor on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have a question or comments, go to martinaflor.com slash podcast, where you can see previous episodes, find show notes, and send voice memos with your comments and questions. You can also watch these episodes on YouTube. Just go to martinaflor.com slash YouTube to find them. You can, of course, listen to all our episodes on your favorite podcast platform. If you loved this episode, subscribe to this podcast. And if you leave us a review, it will help others find us. Thank you all for listening and see you in the next episode of Martina Flores Open Studio. Bye-bye.